NASCAR fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. Before we get to this week's edition of Pit Pass Indy, we have some more sad news to report. Four-time Indianapolis 500 winning driver and three-time IndyCar Series champion Al Unser died last Thursday in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He was 82. Unser was one of the greats of racing and is the only winner in Indy 500 history who had a brother and a son win the Indianapolis 500. His brother Bobby was a three-time Indy 500 winner, and he passed away on May 2nd in Albuquerque at the age of 87. Al Unser Jr. won the Indy 500 in 1992 and 1994. It's been a difficult year for the Unser's. Six weeks after Bobby Unser's death, his son Bobby Jr. died unexpectedly from blood clots after undergoing surgery for a broken hip. He was 65. And then on December 9, the driver known as Big L lost a 17-year-long battle with cancer of the liver brought on by an inherited blood disease, hemochromatosis. We will pay tribute to Al Unser's life and career in next week's edition of Pit Pass Indy. But for now, welcome to this week's edition of Pit Pass Indy. This week's show, we are honored to be joined once again by Lone Star JR, the three-time Indianapolis 500 winning driver, Johnny Rutherford, for part two of a two-part interview that began last week. In last week's part one, Rutherford recalled his days in racing all the way through his three Indianapolis 500 victories and his retirement from racing in 1994. The subject of part two is how Rutherford survived one of the most dangerous eras of IndyCar racing and his personal thoughts on some of the great drivers that he raced against. So here is part two of Lone Star JR with the great Johnny Rutherford on this week's edition of Pit Pass Indy. That gang, as you referred to them, the guys that were a part of your group, uh, do you look at that group as survivors? Because when you started, I think it was Bobby Unser said uh, every year you'd look around the room at the driver's meeting and there'd be a lot of guys that wouldn't be in that room at the end of the year because they were killed in crashes in racing, that it was a very dangerous time to be involved in racing and the life expectancy of an IndyCar driver may not have been very long. Did you feel that you were a survivor to be able to run during that era and be able to retire on your own terms? Gosh, yes, for sure. Uh, you know, I lost so many friends and, and competitors 
during my career, uh, like I say, I, I, you know, drove race cars when they were dangerous and, uh, it was, uh, you know, to, to be able to make it, uh, was just part of the plan, I guess. Uh, I had, you know, like I say, lost so many dear friends, uh, you know, Bobby Marshman was was a dear friend, and uh, one of the funny things that happened with with Marshman and Holtz, I went up. <clears throat> Betty had her had her parents at the track uh, one day, and I went up there to to meet her parents. And her dad was a little skeptical. You know, didn't know if, if I you know was one of those guys that uh, were separated from their wives because they were home and they were in Indianapolis. You know, and and so anyway, we were up there and I was meeting her mom and dad and one of her, her little brother and her sister. And uh, over the garage PA system, which was very uh, audible where we were, was Johnny Rutherford, meet your wife and kids at the back gate of the garage area. And I was looking straight at her dad at that at that moment for some reason. And I would love to have had the picture of the look on his face at that time and Betty looked at me and we laughed and we stepped up to look over the back and down in the garage area Marshman and Holt were nearly rolling on the ground laughing and pointing up at us <laughs> I hate to bring these three incidents up but it illustrates what it was like at that time uh, your survivability to be able to, to make it uh, the career that you've had the life that you've had but you were part of the 1964 horrific fire on lap two of the Indianapolis 500 that killed Dave McDonald and Eddie Sachs. Your description of it is very compelling. I believe you said when you drove through it, it was raining gasoline. Oh, it was. Those were the only two cars in the race burning gasoline. And, of course, gasoline is so hot. When I... When I, Eddie and I, I was on Eddie's bumper. I thought at the start of the race, Eddie got in front of me. I thought I'll follow him. He go, he'll go to the front. And so I was in a Watson Roadster and, uh, we were coming off turn four, uh, or into turn four when we saw McDonald hit the inside wall and burst into giant flames. I mean, uh, black and yellow flames, a hundred feet in the air. And it was, it was incredible. And he slid across the track. We were, I was on the brakes on my, on my roadster and uh, they don't at that speed, they don't slow down very much, but it was slowing down. And I was right on Eddie's bumper when we got to the Dave's car, Davey's car there. And he just, at the last instant, made a little bit of a turn to the left. And when he impacted Davy, the back of his car reared up. And his right rear tire put a skid mark up the nose of my Watson Roadster. So I went under Eddie and over the back of Davy. And I went down there and looked later the next day and I had tire marks on top of the wall. And I came back down and uh, on the other side and had burning gasoline, you know, the car, the, the carpet in the, in the floor of the car was, was flames. And, and, uh, I came down on the other side and, uh, 
the car was slowing down pretty rapidly, and I, I had to unlock the transmission and go to first gear because it was starting to buck. And uh, as I changed gears and, and was ready to move on, you know, keep going, uh, I hear an engine, and I look over, and Unser had hit Ronnie Duman in the back uh, of his roadster and caught him on fire. That's how he spun and got burned. But they knocked the steering out on the Novi, and he was in the throttle trying to get it gathered up, came across the track, and I have a picture of him hitting me in the left rear of my car, which bounced me into the into the wall, and uh, uh, it was it was you know a hard hit. I went ahead and I, I you know continued on and uh, went into the first turn across the short shoots. Bob Vice pulled up beside me and pointed to me to go to go to the infield. You know, and I didn't know what he was what he was talking about. I said I'm okay, and he went on with the field, and I went on around and came around to turn four and stop, and uh, put the car in neutral and you know shut the fuel off and killed the engine and got out. And when I got out, I could see the the fuel in my I, my tank had been ruptured when Unser hit me. And uh, it was there, and two firemen came over with fire extinguishers and stood by. And I turned around and started to walk up toward the incident. And uh, Don Branson was there, stopped, and he grabbed me by the arm and said, don't go up there. I said, okay, Don, but look at the back of my neck. I think I've got some burns or something. And when I had impacted, my head went forward and it raining gasoline. And, and it hit the back of my neck, and I had some second-degree burns on the back of my neck. And uh, uh, so Don put me in a in an ambulance, which was there, went to the hospital, and uh, got my neck dressed and came back to the garage area about the same time the car got there. They they always take them to the fuel shack and and uh, take, you know, drain any fuel or pull any fuel out of it that's in it car rolled into the garage, into Herb Porter's garage, and uh, he went over and, and unhooked the left side hood panel and raised the hood and uh, to look inside. And uh, there was a lot of sand, looked like sand and pea gravel and, and whatever was in there. And there was this lump covered up with, with sand. And Herb reached in and picked it up and dusted it off, and it was a lemon with a shoestring run through it. And Herb says, where in the world do you think this came from? And somebody at the door said, oh, my God. Herb said, what? That Eddie was wearing that around his neck. And I still do not know how that got under the hood of my race car, but uh, that's how close it was. That's an incredible story. Another one I want to bring up was your crash in the Pennzoil car at Phoenix, where you basically flipped over and landed uh, on your head. How serious was that? It really shows just how dangerous this sport can be. Oh, yes. Well, it was. I was leading the race, and uh, I, I can't remember how. It was pretty close to the end. And I was going around the outside of, of a car in, in turn four. 
and it was uh, Dennis Firestone, and he, rookie, and he just led her up off the corner and hit my left rear uh, with his right front, and it spun him, and it spun me around, and I backed into the wall with that left rear, and it broke it off of the car virtually and turned it, and it was like a log roll. I went up on that and into the air and uh, down, upside down, and I always tell people the only thing that saved me is it landed on my head. But uh, anyway, it it uh, uh, did, and I have still have the helmet. Simpson took the helmet and sent it away, and they they said any uh, a helmet with any any more damage would have produced a fatal. But uh, anyway, uh, they turned the car over, and and uh, uh, they were going to cut the front of the car apart to get me out. And I said, look, they told the guy that was. Uh, safety guy there. I said, look down here. And I kicked my leg. I said, I'm fine. Just get me out of here. And so they did. And, and I went to the hospital with a concussion and, and uh, uh, some burns on my forehead where the flash fire under the car uh, and my visor was up and it, it gave me some uh, little burns on my forehead. And anyway, that was it. Uh, you know, it just, uh, one of those things in racing that, that do happen. But, uh, anyway, it, it, uh, they put me in the, in the helicopter to take me to the hospital. And there was a lady in the grandstands that had had a problem with heat or whatever. And she was in the, in a sling, like a hammock. You know, Betty was in the, in the door of the thing watching me get in and this lady was big and she her hammock was right down probably six inches from my from my chest you know and i told her i said i can see the headlines now rutherford dies after a lady crashes <laughs> a helicopter crashes and the lady hits him <laughs> anyway that was uh that was the end of that and of course it, i had won the championship and uh it was you know just one of those things I, I don't know what I could have done to prevent it. Uh, I was already high on the racetrack. He just, you know, just a rookie mistake, and he it started the whole thing, and it was, you know, the thing landed on me. And then in 1981, Indianapolis 500 qualifying, a driver from just up the road from you in Grapevine, Texas, Gordon Smiley, one of the, most horrific crashes in qualifying, maybe in history at that place. Uh, the way that he hit the wall so hard at such force head on, the car basically disintegrated and sent his body hurtling down the track. If you could tell your recollections of what that was like. We had just qualified and there was a line you walked by the reporters and cameramen and everything. And, uh, Lloyd Ruby came over and said, hey, our buddy from Texas just crashed real hard in the third turn. And uh, so we went in and, and looked at uh, uh, Goodyear's TV. They had a big TV screen in there, and we went in and looked at it. And, uh, you know, it didn't look good. And especially the, I watched the ambulance uh, after they put him in and uh, went over to the to the hospital and uh, 
was going to see how, you know, how bad it was. I hadn't seen any of the pictures, and the pictures are horrific. You know, they're just terrible. And uh, he was having troubles getting his car up. Everybody was running 200 or in the 190s. And uh, he just knew that he could just run it harder. He can do it. And uh, I watched the videos of his entering turn three. And uh, when he went in, he got loose. The back end started around. And he did the normal thing is to turn the steering wheel uh, to the right and uh, try to save it. Well, when you do that in Indianapolis at those speeds, uh, you better come back to neutral real quick. I learned that a while ago. And so yeah, if it gets loose, you just tell it no and then come back neutral. And uh, he didn't. And that front end hooked up and turned him straight into the wall head on and uh, could tell. And I was watching on the TV camera. And when the ambulance did not drive away with any speed, uh, that was kind of the tip, you know, that, whoops, he must be bad. So I went over and uh, I didn't go into the to the hospital, uh, but the ambulance was there and his helmet was laying there. And uh, I went over and asked the guy if I could look at it. And uh, he said, uh, yeah. So I, and it was not beat up at all you know didn't have a lot of any cracks or any any scuff marks or anything but i looked inside and there was a piece of gray matter about the size of my thumb and i knew that uh, that he was done in the world of racing penske means performance and winning for good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com 
or for household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. Change the subject to a brighter note. I'm going to throw out some names of drivers, and I want your recollections of them. And we have to begin with your buddy, A.J. Foyt. What are your recollections of him? A lot of people consider him to be the all-time greatest. So what does Johnny Rutherford think of A.J. Foyt? I think same thing. A.J. was very good. He knew when to and when not to, and uh, he'd had his times. You know, and, and we all did uh, back then. And uh, he had crashed at Michigan and, and uh, could have lost an arm, but uh, uh, they saved it with a terrible cut in it and everything. But A.J. was, was very good, and he was he was always good to me. You know, we we talked a lot, and uh, uh, he, you know, had a couple of cars that I drove for him uh, during – uh, the period and uh i uh, he's a he's a just a dear friend and we still talk a lot and uh anyway it's, he was yes he was he was uh, uh the best mario andretti mario andretti is obviously his his record stands for him he was he's a uh, was a very good driver but at speedway I think Mario probably could have been a five-time winner. He he was always leading and running good, but he he drove the car in the ground, you know. And he just uh, that was the the one thing that I did, that you notice is that uh, you know he just wouldn't back off and and save the car. You know, you gotta. I learned that from Herb Porter. You know, Herb says when you out there running and you got to take care of your car. If you can breathe the engine a little bit in the corner, just, just a little bit and do things to try to save it. Well, that's, I learned that a long time ago and, and always thought that of Mario, but he's, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that he wasn't a, a, a great driver. Al Unser. Al Unser is one of the best. I've always said, that if I was a car owner and I wanted a driver, I would hire Al Unser. Al was, was good. He, he proved his, himself good on the dirt, which was, I didn't think was, you know, I, I kind of surprised everybody that he was, he was able to uh, manage the dirt as well as he could the payment, but he was good. And he's a four-time winner and, uh, you know, was, was just, you know, he, he knew when to and when not to. Bobby Unser. Bobby Unser was, was very good, bless his heart. He, he and I came together at the Speedway in 63. He was a rookie and I was a rookie. And on the second, second or third lap, he crashed in the first turn, I think. And, uh, uh, but he was good. And uh, uh, it was kind of funny. <clears throat> After the... 75 race i was interviewed and i said well if it hadn't rained i would have won the race oh bobby got upset over that he was mad and he did he let it be known and so the next year we were at a, a good year party and uh bobby was there and he 
talked, you know, said, yes, I, I was glad to win and da 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 And I got up and I said, you know, next year or in 10 years or in 20 years, if you look at the record book and it says who won this race, it's Bobby Unser. And that's the way it was. And so, you know, we didn't see each other. And finally, I was walking down uh, the pit lane and I felt his hand on my shoulder. And I looked over and it's Bobby. And he smiled at me and shook me and nodded his head. And that was it. We were good friends again. <laughs> Rick Mears. Rick Mears is, a, is a, a good driver to come from where he did in off-road racing and get into Indy cars and perform like he did, a four-time winner. Uh, he's just another one of the good ones. You know, he's, he was uh, very precise, and, and he knew when to and when not to, and he was, he was good. Very good. And, uh, you know, we're still dear friends and, and see him, you know, uh, at the Speedway and, and uh, around. And he's the guy that won it four times and had a great had a great drive. And then a guy who probably doesn't get the credit he deserves but was very good, Gordon Johncock. Yes. Gordy was, was very good. Uh, he drove like nobody else I know in that he... He pushed so hard. Uh, he won the thing, won the speedway twice, but uh, he had problems every, every other place. He was driving for McLaren when they hired me, and Pat Patrick wanted him as a Michigan driver to drive for him. So Gordy went over there, and I went to McLaren. And uh, Gordy is just a, a, a neat guy. You know, he works hard and and in his logging business in in uh, uh Michigan and uh he's fun to be around. He's a happy guy and and uh, I don't think he quite realized that he'd won the race twice, you know. Yeah. But uh he he was he was good. He was uh, as good as they come and, and when you want to have to race him, you better be ready to race. Tom Sneva. Tom Sneva is a good driver. He learned in different types of racing and he came to the speedway and, uh, he, he's won the race and he went through some horrendous crashes and things and made it. And he's, uh, he's one of those guys. I used to, <laughs> I used to always say it was always fun to follow him at Phoenix and watch him because he drove the wheels off of whatever he was in, and uh, he was yeah, he was a good driver. When he when he got in the equipment, he showed everybody what he could do. Lloyd Ruby. Lloyd Ruby was a dear friend, and uh, used to spend Christmases with Lloyd and his family, and Eb Rose and his family up at Eb Rose's place. Uh, out in, in West Texas, and uh, Lloyd was 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 a smart, heady driver. He he was successful in sports cars and in in race cars, uh, Indy cars. Uh, 
I don't think he drove sprint cars very much, but uh, he was he was good, and he helped me get in my first Indy 500. He came. <clears throat> he told me about the car that he had just tested, and it and what he said was worked. And uh, just before I went out to qualify in that car, Lloyd came over and he said, "Rutherford, don't you let us Texans down." And that was it, you know, just go out and do what you can do and get her done. Dan Gurney. Oh, Dan was, was something. He was an engineer. He designed and built, had designed and built the, the Eagle, which was uh, one of the better cars at the time at the Speedway. And uh, the first time I met Dan was in that little restaurant in the in the Tower Terrace there as you go out uh, to the track off to the right was a little restaurant. And I went in and was behind him in line. And somebody said, do you know Dan? I said, no. And he introduced me to Dan. We shook hands. And Dan was looking for something to eat. And he found a piece of apple pie. And I never will forget. He ate that piece of apple pie in two bites <laughs> and took the dish took the dish over to the lady and she charged him for it. And that was that was my first recollection of Dan Gurney. And then when we we got in seventy eight when the, the speedway kicked a bunch of us out of the out of the field because of the difference between CART and and I and, and Indianapolis or USAC. Uh we were in the uh, in the courtroom for our, you know, chance to uh, tell our stories. And uh, Dan and I sat together, and we we learned to talk without moving our mouths. And and he'd say he'd say something. You think this? What do you think's going on? And I said, Oh, I don't know, Dan. You know, we we got reinstated. And every time Dan and I get together, he would he would talk to me with his mouth closed. You know, <laughs> and I, we we did that a lot. <laughs> uh, Parnelli Jones. Oh, Parnelli was was if you had to had to line them up and say, okay, pick the best three. It would be AJ Foyt, Parnelli Jones. And Mario Andretti, uh, you know, Parnelli was was a, a really good in sprint cars. Raced with him a lot in sprint cars, and uh, he he was the first one to go 150 at the speedway in a roadster. And he had a, a lot of talent. I mean, anything he drove, uh, he drove it ten tenths. You know, he was. He was really very good and a, and a dear friend. Al Unser Jr. Al Unser Jr. Al is a good driver. Uh, he had some problems during his career, uh, and it's just it was during that that's the way it was during that period in our careers. And he uh, he's he's good, and he's he's settled down, and everything is 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 good. I think the world of him, 
the answers were like brothers to me. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a good guy. I really like Al Jr. Don Bransom. Oh, oh Don. Don was, was a, a dear friend. Uh, we, we spend, spent time together with our families, uh, up on the lakes. We'd go up and had a place where they go fishing. We went fishing and, uh, it was, uh, he was a very good driving sprint cars, especially and Indy cars. And he, uh, we raced together at, at, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, on the paved half mile track there at the fairgrounds. And, uh, I was, that was 65 and I had a, my great race car with, with Wally Naskowski and we raced and I won both of them. And Don raced me so hard. He came over to me after the second one and he said, I'm not going to show you anymore. You already know too much. And that, that just thrilled me no end because they have Don Branson say that about you. You know, Don was the guy that when he qualified on the mile, everybody dropped their tools and stood up on something to watch because he really stood on the gas. And he was, it was sad when he, when he got killed at Ascot in, uh, in uh, Los Angeles. And, uh, uh, just, you know, I've always wondered what, what in the world happened? And uh, because he he was, you know, just wasn't Don to, to, you know, drive her off in the corner and straight into the turn and and hit the wall and crash and die. And then two drivers that you didn't race against, but we've seen their careers and, and they've accomplished great things. I'm going to start with the guy who won the most recent Indianapolis 500 this year, Elio Castroneves. Elio is a a great, great young man. Not young man anymore. But he so wanted to get that fourth one that he just had to keep trying, and I was so happy when he did. Uh, I met him in the middle of the front straightaway as he was going over to Victory Lane, and he just threw his arms up, and we hugged each other, and I said, well, now you will you you will talk to us anymore. You're a four timer. And he laughed and said, you can count on it. He's a, he's good driver. He drives sports cars. He drives everything and does well. So yes, he deserved uh, to win that fourth one for sure. And then of course, the greatest driver of this era, who certainly belongs in the conversation is one of the greatest of all time, Scott Dixon. Scott is one of those guys that just does what he has to when it's time to do it, and he wins. He's he's very good. He doesn't push the effort early in the race. He's calculated. He knows what he's going to do, and he does it. And he's proved that with his victories. You know, he's uh, he's one of the guys that uh, you'd have to say that he's one of the best in the in the group now and from whence he came. And I know that one of our pals who passed away in August, uh, Robin Miller, used to describe how great a race driver was by saying, 
whether or not they could have driven in the 60s because as you as a driver in the 1960s, that was an era where there was such tremendous innovation. Speeds were rapidly rising and the danger was so great that uh, it was just a time unlike many other eras that we've seen in IndyCar racing. But do you believe that a Elio Castroneves and a Scott Dixon, that they were both drivers that could have raced in the 60s? Probably. Uh, you know, you'd never know that because it was a, it was definitely a different time. The cars were different. You know, it, it's, it's, it would be hard to say. But uh, obviously with their records and, and their accomplishments, it would be interesting to see. And wrapping up here with three-time Indianapolis 500 winner, Johnny Rutherford, if you could just tell our listeners what you're doing today. You lost your wife, Betty, several years ago. McLaren helped bring you back as a ambassador to the team. You've got to be around Zach Brown, McLaren CEO, and see the development of this IndyCar team as it is. If you could just talk a little bit about what Johnny Rutherford is up to these days. Oh, I'm... I'm uh... Like everybody else, just uh, staying uh, staying at home. I have a I have projects. I have a uh, a midget race car that I used to watch race when I was a kid in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, back in the in the forties, and uh, I've been restoring it, and I've got it uh, nearly ready to uh, take out and start up and get the engine. It's got a a little uh, V860 flathead Ford uh, with dual carburetors, and and it's uh, I used to watch it race, and it it it's kind of interesting because the engine uh, was built in the car by Eddie Meyer, and Eddie Meyer is Louis Meyer, the first three-time winner of the Speedway's brother, and he built engines like that for the midget race cars back in the 40s. And it was good. I watched it wax the office many nights in Tulsa. And uh, it's been my project. And then I have I have a 34 Ford 5-window coupe with a all-aluminum 355 small-block Chevy engine in it. And it's being finished up in Kansas. Uh, guy up there, when Betty uh, was, was ill and I had her in memory care, uh, for three years, they they came and got it and took it up there. Uh, there's a big car show up there where they they draw in a thousand cars every September for a show, and and uh, they've had my car now for going on five years. <laughs> I keep telling the guy, "Hey, I hope I can get it back before the state tells me I can't have a driver's license." One of the great drivers of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, a man who won 30 IndyCar Series races in his career, won a NASCAR Cup race, and won three Indianapolis 500s. It's Lone Star JR, Johnny Rutherford. Congratulations on an outstanding career, and thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Oh, you bet. I wouldn't have missed it. It's it's great to, to uh, recall all those memories, and thank you very much for doing this. And that puts a checkered flag on this edition of Pit Pass. And we want to thank racing legend Johnny Rutherford for joining us on today's podcast. Along with loyal listeners like you, our guests help make Pit Pass Indy your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. Be sure to tune in next week as we pay tribute 
to the great Al Utzer on Pit Pass Indy. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, uppercase B, uppercase M, underscore 500. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin. And final mixing was done by Dave Douglas. Learn more at evergreenpodcast.com. Until next time, be sure to keep it out of the wall. 